Hola familia, les saludamos en el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Hey Heritage family, we greet you in the strong name of Christ Jesus. It is so good to get to gather together from wherever we are as one church with multiple expressions and praise the name of Jesus together. We want to greet you, whether you're joining us from your cell at Kiwani, your living room, uh, your office watching us online, or maybe you're joining us in one of our live spaces as well as we worship and praise and pray and step in to the presence of God, pursuing all that he has for us. We've been praying for you that this would be a sacred time where you would sense the Holy Spirit of the living God meeting with you right where you are. In fact, in, in order to help us do that, I just want to encourage you to pause and allow your mind to shift from the ordinary space that you're in and allow it to become sacred space where you are gonna connect with God, others, and your purpose in unique way. Breathe and press in with us. You know, in the scriptures, in Psalm 126, we read these words to a people who had felt like they had been in a really challenging season and then had experienced God's great hand of mercy, only to find themselves again in a really challenging season. And they wrote these words of prayer and praise, declaring that the God who was faithful in past would be faithful again. This is what it says. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the desert. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves we join their prayer today, saying, God, you have been absolutely faithful in the past. And so we declare with joy and expectation that you are faithful today. Sing and worship with us as we press into him today. worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how His love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things.
I don't know about you, but it has felt so important to me to really be grounding myself in scripture, um, just in processing all of the things that are happening around us. Um, and the words of Jesus speak so powerfully to us, uh, no matter what we're facing. Um, just this past week, I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew chapter 5, um, these words just really jumped out to me and felt like this wonderful invitation for the people of Jesus to actually model a different way to the world around him. Here are the words of Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Friends, I don't know where you find yourself in this fall season, whether you're feeling 
frustrated, anxious, fearful, joyful, um, what, whatever is happening around you, I do know that there is, there is a need for the people of God to be people of peace, to be people who walk in the way of love. There's a beautiful prayer that St. John of the Cross um, wrote and, and prayed and invites us into today, and it's a prayer for stillness among chaos. And so we're going to pray this in two ways. We're going to pray this together with corporate language, and then we're going to offer this prayer personally to Jesus. So let's pray these words together. Oh, blessed Jesus, give us stillness of soul in you. Let your mighty calmness reign in us. Rule us, O King of gentleness, King of peace. And friends, I just want to invite you, we're now going to pray this prayer uh, really personally for us. And I invite you wherever you are, um, just to open your hands as an act of surrender uh, to Jesus, an act of welcome to Holy Spirit, as you invite the King of gentleness and King of peace to reign in your heart and in your life and in your soul. Let's pray these words together. O oh, blessed Jesus, give me stillness of soul in you. Let your mighty calmness reign in me. Rule me, O oh, King of gentleness, King of peace. All of this we pray in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Spirit. Amen.
Welcome to week two of Heart of Worship, where we're just taking some time to understand how we live a life of worship out of a heart of worship. And maybe you're like me, where listening to music and playing music is part of that. Maybe you like to sing at the top of your lungs. Maybe you even like to dance. But worship is more than an action. It's more than a space. It's even more than an instrument. Yet many times we can confuse the means of worship with worship itself. But it's more than that. See, worship is more than the song. It's more than the space that we gather in. It's more than the music. It's more than the words. At the core, worship is our heart. It's about our heart. It's an expression of our heart reflected in life. As Spiritual beings with physical bodies, man, we're hardwired for worship. We're hardwired for that extravagant love and extreme submission that we looked at last week. And and our understanding that worship is about bringing all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God in an expression of love, in a space of Him revealing and us responding. It's a beautiful dynamic. And if you missed the first conversation, you can get online at heritageqc.com and you can see what you missed. But today what I want to do is dig a bit deeper into the reality that we don't initiate worship, we join it. We don't initiate worship, we join it. We enter in, we don't start it. And there's a difference. In fact, because we're actually part of something much bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than us, and worship is something that we join, not initiate. Last week, I actually invited all of us to consider who or what we respond to. Because there are a lot of options out there. There are a lot of things that we can react to, especially in these days. And the things that we react to are those things that we actually have very little to no control over. But I'm not talking about the things we react to. I'm talking about the space that we can respond in. It's not so much about reacting as it is about responding. See, in any dynamic, whether it's good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, we always have an opportunity to choose our response. We hold the ability and the opportunity to pick how we're going to respond in any given dynamic, where we turn in any situation. And our choice in that moment doesn't just impact us, it has a broader ripple. In fact, let me just show you a very simple and maybe even silly example of the dynamic of responding, even a bit of heart expressed in life, with a one-minute clip of a guy who is enjoying an outdoor concert. 
It is readily apparent that he's responding to the music, clearly expressing himself dancing. Albeit somewhat unique in style, he's genuinely doing so. Yet as odd as it is, it doesn't take long before his expression inspires another. Now, it's not just one guy that'll be engaged, but some would say now one guy leading a movement. We've gone from somebody who would be considered crazy or a nut to somebody who is now a leader. Now we can talk about that some other time, but this random guy is now part of something more than a goofy dance. And although small, it's a growing dynamic. Maybe you can see it even now. Why is it relevant? Well, because we don't initiate worship. We join it. See, worship of God is a constant. Whether it's the angels before the throne described in the book of Revelation, or whether it's all creation giving him praise. It's as it says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. We enter into that. We join that as we engage in worship. Even Jesus highlighted the unstoppable nature of worship when he said something that's captured in Luke 19. It happens as he's entering into Jerusalem for the last time. The people are celebrating. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's a beautiful moment, but there are these guys known as Pharisees who kind of push back and they say, yo, Jesus, come on, get these guys to stop. Get your disciples to quit doing what they're doing. And Jesus responds in Luke 19, verse 40. He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Another translation says that they will break forth with praises. See, worship is not something that happens based solely on what we do or don't do. It's actually something that's always happening. So the question is then whether we're part of it or not whether we're going to participate or not. And if we are going to participate, how do we do that? See, worship is something we join, not initiate. And to fully understand what that means and really to decide how or if we are going to engage, we need to consider why we would, why we do. And in order to do that, let's go to the easel. See, in worship, there are different on-ramps to engaging it. And, and there are actually a number of different ones, but there are four primary ways by which we can engage worship. A lot of people engage from a sense of duty, where there's a command to worship, there's a sense of loyalty to it, that we're complying, that God deserves worship, and so there is this obligation of obedience that we engage out of a sense of duty. But then there's also an aspect of discipline, where there's a sense of faithfulness. We, we've been told about God. Maybe our family has a regular tradition of engaging in worship on a weekend, or we have a personal practice of engaging on a regular weekly basis. There is this sense of faithfulness that comes out of an expression of discipline. Beyond that is an element of desire, where there's a sense of pursuit. There's a longing for something more with God. Maybe we've seen glimpses of something more, and there is this pursuit to experience more of it. There's a willingness to pursue and a wanting to experience more. And then there's an element, though, of delight, a sense of joy, 
a sense of freedom and pleasure, an outpouring that we just cannot help ourselves as we understand and interact and engage with God. There's a freedom in it and a joyfulness in it. See, there are lots of different ways that we can approach worship, on-ramps if you would. But these four kind of bracket the primary ways by which we do that, and they're all legitimate. And if you dig around in Scripture enough, if you, if you read enough of the Bible, you'll find tons of passages that support these four primary on-ramps into engaging with God in a posture and expression of worship, how we actually approach Him. Just consider Psalm 40, verse 8. It simply says that, I desire to do your will, O God, your law is within my heart. So when we think about, God, I desire to do your will, your law is within my heart, that sentence alone combines this dynamic of duty and discipline, desire and delight. All four seem to be present. And these things are actually legitimate ways to approach God. We can view them even as, really, as primary approaches to Him. They, they allow us even then also to evaluate how and when we engage, uh, how we approach the primary reason and motive by which we engage God, how we most often seek to connect with him in worship. Now, I want to look at this in a specific example. So if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. That's in the Old Testament. You find Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. You'll find First and Second Samuel. And this is chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. And it connects to the story of David. And last week we looked at a psalm of David, Psalm 63. And it was a, from a time when David was fleeing from King Saul who was trying to kill him. What we're doing today, though, is jumping ahead, fast-forwarding about 20 years to a different time in David's life where he was the king of Israel now. He is also married. In fact, he's married to Saul's daughter, Michael. How about that? And it's in this dynamic, in his season of leading as king, that he's trying to return the heart of the people back to God and his purpose. Because the previous king, Saul, he, he didn't have a heart for God. The people chose Saul ahead of God as their king. He had stature, physical stature, but he didn't have a heart for God. David, on the other hand, was chosen by God. He was anointed by God, and he had a whole heart for God. And he's about to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. Yep, that same Ark of the Covenant that you would have seen back in the Indiana Jones movie. However, there is a very real storyline around the Ark of the Covenant that you can find as you read Scripture yourself. And no time to get into that today. But the Ark was a, a wooden box covered in gold with a very ornate lid. And it represented the presence and glory of God. Inside were, were the tablets that Moses wrote down the law. There was a jar of manna. And there was a, a staff that had budded that validated Aaron, who was Moses' brother, it validated his leadership. So again, not time to get into all the stuff about the Ark of the Covenant, but I want you to know today as we begin that for 20 years it had been someplace else. It had, it had even spent three months just prior to this moment delayed from returning to Jerusalem because David and some others tried to do the right thing the wrong way. But there was a high priority to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem uh, as a means by which the people could experience the presence and glory of God, and it's happening. It's a crazy, wild, cool moment, and that's where we're picking this up. 2 Samuel verse, chapter 6, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he, David, sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, which was an outer garment worn by the priests, it was kind of like a shoulder cape, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. This was an elaborate, over-the-top celebration it was a critical moment, an important moment of really bringing a, a central place of worship 
for the people of Israel. And David, as he did this, he didn't hold anything back in his expression of worship, nor did he actually do this out of obligation. He was demonstrating this out of a heart of worship, out of an outpouring, if you would, in his life. And he's doing it right alongside the people as just one of the other worshipers in the context and he, because he was so glad to be doing what God had called him and desired to do. And in this dynamic is duty and discipline, desire and delight all mixed up in the whole thing. Yet there was a problem. You see, David's wife, Michael, wasn't happy. Take a look at verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. So notice she's not engaged in participating. She's viewing from afar, not as a participant. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now there's so much in these few lines right here. But I want you to know and understand that what David was doing was actually abnormal. But it wasn't obscene. We know from 1 Chronicles 15 that David was actually dressed just like the rest of the priests in this procession and moment. And the fact that he was engaging alongside the rest of the people was unique. We know from our understanding of ancient and modern culture that David may not have been dancing alone as a solo performance, but actually dancing alongside others in this dynamic. Either way, though, his choice to wear the ephod, to set aside his royal robes, was hugely significant. Just say that he was like everyone else in the procession, and in a way acknowledging that God was king, not King David. It's actually a beautiful moment, but, but Michael didn't like it. She felt it was undignified for the king to engage, inappropriate, if you would. And she goes on to tell him that in verse 20. But before we get to David's response to her confrontation moment, I just wondered if you catch where her focus was, where her heart and eyes were as she looked. You see, the interesting thing about Michael is that as the daughter of Saul, she chose to have a heart more like her dad than David, a heart that wasn't for God. She had her eyes on David himself. She was thinking more of him and herself than of God. She did not have a heart for God in this moment, even though David did. Saul, her dad, didn't have a heart for God. David had a whole heart for God. And even in David's response to Michael, he invites her to something more. He actually says, look, I didn't initiate this. I just joined. Here's what he says if we look at verse 21. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me. He says, I did it for God. In duty, in discipline, in desire, and delight. It was a response to him. It was a response for him. He's basically saying, I didn't do it for you. I did it for him. Now, here's the thing about worship. Worship isn't about what pleases us or others. It's about what pleases God. It's about the priority we place on him in our daily lives. And a heart for worship always leads to a life of worship. A heart for worship always leads to a life of worship. Worship, in some sense, is really an audience of one in a world of many. And David knew that. He viewed worship out of desire and delight and discipline and duty. But Michael, not so much. See, we choose how we respond. We choose our approach. And we can start in any one of these locations. They are legitimate starting points, but they are not destinations in and of themselves. There is actually an element of being able to move through and engage in all of them because at the core, this is an issue of heart. 
It's an expression, whether it's duty or desire, whether it's delight or discipline, we're actually talking about engaging him out of a sense of love or out of loyalty, out of an engagement of who we are in light of who he is. It's a beautiful context that we're called to. And we may ebb and flow in how we feel about worship or even about God. In spaces where we feel dry or disconnected, that just might be the space that we have to engage from a posture of discipline. If we feel far from God, maybe that's the space that we engage out of desire, in a desire to connect with him more fully. If we're frustrated or even confused by what he's doing or not doing, that just might be the space that we engage out of a posture of duty. The dynamic here is all of it, all four being expressed as avenues of engaging him in worship. They're starting points, not destinations. This isn't even some grid that you move through once. It is a holistic framework by which we can engage in an ongoing posture of worship, an ongoing expression of love, an expression of the heart reflected in life. Not solitary goals, not individual destinations, but individual starting points by which we can engage. And when we do, then our worship can actually be a catalyst of others engaging in great celebration. You may remember the, our friend on the hillside who started as one, that then became two and became three. The, the movement didn't stop from there. If we go back to him for a moment, his passionate, joyful, and unfettered response became a catalyst of a movement across the venue, as hundreds would eventually join in. It's fascinating to me, but it's because how you and I choose to offer a heart to God in our lives can inspire others and give others permission, give others a path to their own expression of worship as we model. Our actions can inspire or offend. People can respond to us as we respond to God. The key is our heart. Now we never want to use an excuse, use that as an excuse for being rude or disrespectful or selfish in our behavior. It's a space of freedom, out of duty, out of discipline, out of desire, out of delight, as we join with all of creation and enter in true worship. I don't know where the dancing dude would be in this diagram because quite honestly, worship is about the heart, it's not about the circumstances or the action in and of itself. But it's fascinating to me to reflect on how his response led to greater response. And our worship should be just like that. Worship is more about what it does in impact and ripple and glory to God than it is about what we're specifically doing. Because it, it comes from the heart. More, more than how it's expressed is the issue of the heart. And it's first for God, but then it's for us and others. So let's go back to where we started. We model as we join. So we, we model as we join. A, a heart of worship leads to a life of worship, publicly and privately, whether it's on a hillside, whether it's at our workplace, or even in the gathering of the church. A heart of worship is an expression of love. It is unfettered, it is God-centered, and it is with all of our might. And it always takes us deeper in our relationship with him as a response that leads us to greater response. A space where we put the supreme worth of God on display as we join in. A heart of worship leads us to a life of worship. 
a response that leads to greater response as we model and as we join in, as we enter. Now, with that, I wonder, what do you need to do next to more fully worship? To more fully worship this week, to join in. We often evaluate worship by how we feel. But when we realize that worship is about pleasing God, well, then we defer to how he wants us to do it. Because it's before him, but also before others. And we're going to dig into that a bit more specifically next week. But for today, what motivation do you need to explore in your worship to more fully engage in duty, discipline, desire, or delight? David was so consumed with the good things that God had done that he danced with all of his might. He's an example of someone who sought to live out a life of worship out of a heart of worship, not settling for one area, but moving amidst all four of discipline and duty and desire and delight. Where are you in your worship journey? Where do you need more balance? What's what's present and what's missing in your worship? God's presence is no longer limited to the ark. We actually have access to his presence in a whole nother way, and it's through Jesus. He is the way. He is the gate. And he offers us the spirit of God when we enter into relationship with him as Lord and Savior. And if you've not yet done that, I want to encourage you to consider making that decision today. You can look at some information in the note guide online. You can talk with one of the pastors if you're in one of our worship spaces this weekend. Or if you just want to text faith to the number on your screen, We'll put some resources in your hand that'll help you walk in the journey and taking those next steps of experiencing the presence of God. But as you reflect on where you're at in that journey, where you are and where you need to go in your engagement of worship, I want to leave you with the words of Paul from Romans chapter 12, where he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, to offer your lives, your heart, and life, all that you are, with all of your might, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you loved us enough to pursue us, that you create a space for us to respond as you reveal. And I pray, Lord, that we would bring all that we know of ourselves to all that we know as you, as we engage in a space of duty and discipline, of desire and delight. May it all be present in our worship and may you speak to my brothers and sisters in these next few moments as we continue in worship through song. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. surrounding me let it break and your name still call the sea to still the rage in me to still Jesus, Jesus. 
as we continue out of a heart of worship to choose a life of worship, we want to invite you into several opportunities where you can make worship part of the regular rhythm of your life. That includes opportunities like this coming weekend live in space when we're going to be participating in communion together. It's an opportunity for you and I to break bread with one another, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, and to celebrate all that he is for you and for me. You're not going to want to miss that opportunity to gather together live in space at our Rock Island campus this coming Sunday. We sure hope to see you there. We also know that the church for thousands of years has made part of its rhythm of worship a season called Advent. Advent is a time when we walk toward Christmas with intentionality and expectation. It's been a time for the church to settle in as they wait for God to do impossible and incredible things, evidenced by the arrival of Jesus as God in the flesh for us. And we are really excited about all of us walking an intentional journey toward Christmas together this Advent season. In fact, if you come by our various locations this week, you can receive one of these Advent kits that's full of all kinds of gifts from us to you and intentional opportunities for you to reflect, to step into activity, and even elements that are gonna help you as we worship virtually in this space. It is a way that we want to pause and to prepare our hearts for whatever God wants to do, not only today, but in the seasons ahead. So we hope to see you sometime this week at the times that you see on the screen here or at heritageqc.com, where you can pick up your very own Advent kit for your family and journey with us toward Christmas. You're not gonna wanna miss that either. You can find information about all of those things, including uh, other opportunities, like perhaps you've been journeying through addiction recovery. We have a great opportunity for you to step into fellowship and support with others who are on a similar journey. You can join us live in space at our Rock Island campus every Sunday at 9.30 where you'll find support and prayer and an anonymous space where you can process your journey together. We encourage you to download, if you haven't already done so, the Church Center app, which includes all of these different opportunities and many more, along with opportunities to connect in virtual groups, to interact, to let us know how we can be praying for you because we are praying for you. And we'd love to know specific ways that we can carry your needs before the Father. It's also a great way for you to let us know how we can serve you in these days. So again, download the Church Center app and choose Heritage Church. You can give online and join us in radical generosity and hopeful partnership there and connect in groups, in life together, get information about opportunities in live space and so much. We really believe that God is at work in these days and that as we choose a life of worship in pursuit of Him, He's going to lead us into amazing spaces as He does impossible things in and through us. So we're praying for you and asking God to continue to reveal Himself to you as you live out of a heart of worship this week. See you soon.
Take to the side forever.